0: This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. So the pandemic, um, it exposed a number of things that were kind of lying beneath the surface. And one of the things that it has exposed is that we're in an epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness is is defined simply as the gap uh, between the level of connectedness you desire and the level of connectedness you have and are experiencing. It means you're not as connected or as known as you would like to be. A study conducted in 2018, before the pandemic was even a word in our vocabulary, uh, by the Kaiser Family Foundation, revealed that one in five Americans, 20% of us, always or often felt lonely or socially isolated. And that feeling only increased... In the pandemic, in 2022, uh, there was a study that showed uh, that this had nearly tripled with 57% of New Yorkers feeling lonely summer most of the time. And so here, here we are, we are more technologically connected than ever before, and at the same time, feeling more alone than ever before. And that feeling of loneliness, it reveals this innate human longing and desire to be both intimately known and deeply loved by others. But at the same time, I think we're often afraid of being known by others. Because we recognize the risk that comes with opening ourselves up to others. We're, we are afraid of being let down. We are afraid of being left out. And we're ultimately afraid of being rejected, for not being accepted. We're afraid that if if you knew the real me, you would never love me. And so rather than risk being hurt, we hide our true self, and we portray this false self, which only further isolates us and makes us feel even more alone. And the thing is, we not only do this with others, right, we do this with God as well, don't we? Keeping him at arm's length, maintaining a, a safe distance so that we won't be let down by God, so that we won't feel rejected by God. But then as time goes on, we're left wondering, you know, why does God feel so distant? Why does God sound so silent? Why why is my faith run dry? Why is there no vibrancy to my worship? Why is there no joy in my life? And, And I think here's the thing, I think we all want more of God in our life, don't we? Like we all want more of God. We want, a, we want a deeper awareness of him in our lives. We want a deeper affection for God. But if we're honest, we're not sure what to do. We're not sure where to start, where to turn, or how to go about this. And that's why the spiritual practices are such a treasured gift from the 2,000-year the history of the church. These regular rhythms in our lives, these disciplines that add structure to our lives, guiding us in regular participation in the deepening of our awareness of God and our affection for God. That's how we define the spiritual practices and rhythms and disciplines last week. It's regular participation in the deepening of our awareness of God and our affection for God. They guide us in our pursuit of Jesus. Last week, we began our series, The Spiritual Rhythms of the Psalm, looking at the rhythm of worship in Psalm 66. And we're going to put that into practice over the course of this series, asking everyone to be here, not just at 10.15 or at 10, but to arrive at 9.30, arriving early to prepare our hearts to pray or to worship, arriving early to gather in the lobby to worship like the lobby was packed this morning. It was great. And you didn't even know we were having Krispy Kreme donuts this morning. You came to pray, and then they were literally the icing on the cake. But you came so that you could could meet someone new to you, someone whose name you don't know, someone whose name you've forgotten. And we came, most importantly, so that when we began that call to worship this morning, we were here. Our kids were already checked in. We already had a cup of coffee, and we were ready to worship. And this morning we're going to continue in our series in Psalm 139, a psalm that is attributed to King David, looking at this contemplative prayer of self-examination, a practice that dates back to the 16th century, referred to simply as examine. It's a practice that deepens our awareness of God's constant presence in our lives. That we are we are never alone as well as our affection for God, as we come to see how we are intimately known by God and deeply loved by God. And David, he's going to lead us on a journey through this psalm that leads us to better understand who God is, right? That's first and foremost what God's Word does. It reveals who God is. And he's going to give us three reminders of who God is, reminders of his intimate knowledge of us, a reminder of his infinite presence with us and his incredible power over creation as the creator. And then we are going to see through these reminders what that reveals about our relationship with God. So the first reminder that David's going to give us here is that God is omniscient, right? It's just a fancy way of saying God is all-knowing. God is omniscient, knowing everything about everything, knowing everything about me. And David, he expresses this intimate knowledge that God has of him. He says in verse one, "O oh Lord, you have, you have searched me and known me." He, he acknowledges that His life, that His heart, that his entire being is an open book to God, that there is nothing hidden from God. He goes on to say, in verses two through four, he says, "You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar." You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You know what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. You, you know where I am and where I'm going. You, you complete my sentences knowing what I'm going to say, not only before I say it, but before I've even thought about it, right? Absolutely nothing is hidden from God. He is omniscient. He is all knowing, knowing not only everything about David, but knowing everything about you. He not only knows those things that are external, that are visible to others, where you are, what you're doing. He's got you on Find My Friend on his iPhone. Eh, He doesn't. He just knows. He doesn't need the iPhone. He knows those things that are internal, that are invisible to others, the, the thoughts that you're thinking, the emotions that you're feeling. God knows you better than you know yourself. And if we're honest, it feels a little invasive, doesn't it? Like if this was your parents, you would call this an invasion of your privacy. If this was big brother, we would call it spying. If this was your creepy neighbor next door, we're going to call the cops, aren't we? Because there's this, there's this sense of intrusion that comes with someone knowing something about you you didn't think they knew or something you didn't want them to know. You feel violated. You feel exposed. You feel naked. And you may even feel that way with God. I mean, look what David says. He says, you, you hem me in. You're behind me and before me. It's like, God, you're violating my personal space. I'm feeling trapped here. I'm suffocating. You you lay your hand on me, violating my body, feeling unsafe to the point that, that God having such knowledge of you, it might be too much. God's no different than your nosy parents reading your diary. He's no different than the CIA reading your emails. Uh, I don't know that that's actually happening. He, he's no different than your nosy neighbor peeking in through your windows. That might be happening. But David's not expressing uh, his frustration with God's invasion of his life. No, he, he's expressing the peace and the comfort that he finds with the intimacy God has in his life, being intimately known by God. This isn't read with anxiety and worry. This is read with peace and comfort. And so he says in verse 5, you hem me in, embracing me, bringing safety and security in your arms as I abide in your presence. You're going behind me and before me. You, you know what lies ahead and what lies in the past. And you lay your hand upon me, calming me, reassuring me, saying to you, I know. I know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. I know what you said. I, I know what you did. But not only that, he, he's saying, I know what was said about you the gossip and the slander. I know. I know what was said to you, the the lies and the insults. I know. He says, I know what was done to you. I know and I believe you, even if they don't. He says, I see you. You are not hidden from me and I know you. I don't just know about you. I know you. And I think some of you have been waiting your entire life to hear that, haven't you? To be told that you are known. Waiting to hear that from someone you love, from someone you trusted, to say, I I see you. I I know you. I believe you. I accept you. But we don't hear that a lot of times. We hear the opposite, and it can be easy to give up, can't it? Give up on friends and family knowing us. We even give up on our church or God knowing us, and we start to think and listen to this lie that like being known is not worth the risk. It's not worth it. Being open, being vulnerable, intimately known by someone—that's scary, isn't it? It's scary to let someone in, especially if you have spent your entire life portraying this false self, keeping the true self hidden, fearing that if. If you knew the real me, you would never love me. In fact, you would probably leave me. And yet God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the real you. And you know what? God never left you. Amen. Being intimately known by God, such knowledge is too wonderful me. It's it's too much. To take in the idea of being accepted by God, his adopted child. It is so, it is so high, I can't, I can't attain it, I can't comprehend it, I can't fathom it. But isn't that who God is? Beyond our level of comprehension. We can't put God in a box, can we? We can't wrap our arms around who God is. And the second we try to, and the second we think we've succeeded, he ceases to be God and we replace him, don't we? And so this reminder of God's omniscience, knowing everything, it means you are known by God. And I want you to say this reminder with me. It'll be on the screen here. Say this with me. Because God is omniscient, knowing everything about me, I am known by God. You are known by God. That's the first reminder. Here's the second reminder. It's that God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. God is omnipresent being everywhere with me. David, he writes in verse 7, so where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Uh, Any of y'all ever been to the Arlington Heights Library? So, When you drive uh, through the drive-thru downstairs there, when you drive into the drive-thru, you know, we do that to drop a book off or pick a game up at the drive-thru. Like, you lose your radio signal when you drive through. Waddle and Sylvia are having a great conversation about how the Bears are gonna just be awesome next year, and they're gonna tell you why, and then... Or... um, you ever notice when you drive across the intersection here to where the McDonald's is? Um, I know intimately well that McDonald's. Um, it's a total dead zone, at least with Verizon. Total dead zone. And so you're sitting uh, there in the drive-thru getting your bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, and there's no Twitter. There's no, there's no nothing. Like, what do I do for the next 30 seconds while I'm waiting? It, uh, that, that intersection there, it's, like, it's worse than going back to Iowa and being on the farm in terms of cell coverage. Man, God's not like that. There's no dead zone with God. You're never going to lose God's signal. You are never outside of his presence because he is omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. And David, he describes it like this in verses 8 through 10. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Right, No matter how high or how low you go, from the eastern horizon where the sun rises to the, the western limits as David looked out over the Mediterranean Sea from Israel, even there you are not just with me, God, but you are, you are guiding me, you are holding me, you are leading me. He says in verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. right? Even there in the darkness, when you feel most alone as the, the, the waves of worry and anxiety and depression come crashing down, and you are, you are unable to see any hope of the light ever shining again. Even there in the wilderness, when you feel lost and afraid, and alone, unable to find your way out, unable to find your way back. Even there, God is with you. Even in the darkness, is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Eugene Peterson writes in the message, darkness isn't dark to you. It's like God's got these night vision goggles on. He can see right through it. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all, they're all the same to you. They don't hinder you in any way. And what that means for us is that no matter how dark the night may seem, that dark night of the soul, God will never lose sight of you. And no matter how lost and alone you may feel, God will always be with you. Jesus said until the end of the age. He is with you in the darkness. He is with you. In the wilderness and this reminder of God's omnipresence of being everywhere it means you are not alone and so I want you to read this reminder with me that we see in this psalm read this with me because God is omnipresent being everywhere with me I am not alone praise the Lord we are not alone Third reminder is this, it's that God is Omnificent. God is Omnificent having created me. Now, uh, a lot of new words today. Okay? Um, Beginning with Omni, which is Latin for all. Omniscient, all-knowing, he knows everything. Um, Omnipresent, he's everywhere, all places, at all times. And and the new one here is Omnificent. Means he has unlimited power in creating all things. He is the creator of all, isn't he? He created space and time. He created the heavens and the earth. He created plants and animals. And you know what else he created? He created you. God created you. And I think that impacts the way that we relate to God. David, he says in verse 13, a verse I'm sure we many have heard, he says, for you formed my inward parts. You, you knitted me together. In my mother's womb. God, he took great care in uniquely creating you, in in breathing life into you. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God was there in the, the darkness and the secrecy of your mother's womb, creating you, knitting you together. It says in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God saw you long before your mother ever saw you, even on the ultrasound. God knew you long before your mother even knew of you. He knew you in eternity past. God God loved you before anyone ever loved you, and he loves you more than anyone will ever love you. And God loves you, not this false view, not some future version of you that you hope to become but the real you that you are right now in this very moment at 10 43 on sunday morning hallelujah that is the you god loves and can we just be honest like that might be some of the hardest most difficult words to hear and accept and believe but the good news of the gospel is that doesn't make it any less true does it? You are wonderfully made by God. He said it, not me. I'm just saying what he said. I'm just the messenger. You are wonderfully made by God. And like, can you read this first part with me? Read this with me. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. One more time. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now here's the question I want to ask you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God believes that about you? Or do you think he's just saying nice things about you to make you feel better? A little pick-me-up, a little encouragement. Do you believe that God's work in creating you is wonderful, beautiful? Do you know this in your heart? Do you believe this in your soul? Not, not just well, he says, but know it very well. Do you believe this to be true? i like to be honest, I, I've struggled with this my entire life. I would like to say I struggled with it, but it's an ongoing struggle. This, this feeling of, of being unworthy of being loved for who I am. You might love me for what I've done, but not for who I am. And that created this perpetual feeling of loneliness throughout my life. I felt like I was the most lonely extrovert in the history of the world. And I realized this one day. Um, you guys know I started therapy 10 years ago. And one day, very early on, my therapist, he descri- his name was Scott, by the way. Uh, he described something that I had done. I was telling him about it. And he described it as beautiful. And I didn't respond well to that. I still struggle with that word. And he, he knew it, right? You know those moments when your therapist is like, mm, we're going to talk about that. And so he pressed in because that's what they do. And he asked me, Ash, do you, do you know you are beautiful to God? And I lost it on that couch. I lost it because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that I was wonderfully made. I didn't believe I was wonderfully made by God. I didn't believe that I was loved by God for who I am, but simply for what I could do. And when we believe that lie, it leads to us doing all kinds of things for God, but thinking we're not meant to be with God. Check off a lot of boxes for God and yet you don't know him because you've kept him at arm's length as you have everybody else. This is part of what led to our creation of the way, this three-year journey of spiritual growth and formation that, we've, that we started here at Redemption, and partly why one of the sessions in the way is called Appreciating the Beauty in God's Creation. It's the session I think I'm least and most looking forward to at the same time. Thanks, Becca. Thanks for making me face that word. Because, you know, part of the beauty in God's creation, do you know what it is? It's you. Amen? You are beautiful and wonderfully made by God. And think about it. Like, God created a lot of things, didn't he? Like, he was busy in the beginning. And uh, he created, like, beautiful things, plants and animals. He created... There's like 8 billion shades of tulips, right? Different colors. He created all of them. And he, he created even the cutest of animals. And we all know that the cutest animal ever created is our beagle, Alice. You've seen a picture of her like every other month since we got her, our pandemic pup. But you know what God said after he created all that beautiful stuff? What did he say it was? It's good. Eh, not bad. It wasn't until he created us the only thing that he created in his image, in his own image, that he said it wasn't just good, but what? Very good. That God created you out of his love for you. He, you were not a mistake to God. He, he created you to experience his love for you as the one who is himself loved. It's a man of all these reminders, this is the one I think we need most, this reminder of God's omnificence, the creator of everything, including you, meaning you are loved by God. And so as hard as it may be to say, I want you to say this with me. I want you to repeat this reminder with me. You ready? Because God is omnificent, having created me, I am loved by God. Say that last part one more time in bold. I am loved by God. You are loved by God. But like, mm, being so intimately known, so deeply loved, abiding in his constant presence, doesn't it all seem just a little too good to be true? Like maybe he knows most things about me, but not everything, because there's that one thing that like, man, that was bad. David says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God how 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 vast is the sum of them if i if i would count them they they're more than sand it, it's it's as if though he's waiting for the other shoe to drop for for him to go, for him to wake up one morning and god's not there and yet what he says is, is he says i awake and i am still with you god god You are still with me. You never left me. I sat here sleeping, and you were there with me the entire time. You didn't need to go take a break and take a nap yourself. You stayed here with me the entire time. And like every morning is a reminder of that safety and that security that we find in God's presence that we are known and loved by God, a reminder that leads us to opening ourselves up to God, to sharing our heart with God of what it is that we are truly thinking and actually feeling, not holding anything back, not living in fear, but letting our true self be known. And that's what David did. He he says in verse 19, he says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They, They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, they take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Whoa! That was a bit much, huh? A little too honest, maybe. Because, like, remember Jesus in Matthew 5? Remember back from our series on the Sermon on the Mount? He's like, you've heard it said love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Man, David's going off. I can't believe he actually thought that, yet alone said it out loud and said it to God in prayer. God, take them all out. Kill them all, let the paramedics sort them out. Like, who does that? Someone who feels safe and secure with God, that's who. Someone who knows God already knows, that's what he's thinking and feeling. Someone who knows that God wouldn't freak out if he actually said it to him and leave. Someone who feels God has given them permission to share whatever is on their heart with him. To bring it all. Not just the rosy colored things in a King James Version, but everything. Someone who has opened themselves to God and allowed God to know him intimately. Know everything about him. Someone who has positioned themselves before God. And so after this vomit, if you will, David, he says, look at me with verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the ancient way, the footnote says. David opened himself to God. He Invited him in to search him and examine his heart. He wanted God to know what he was thinking and feeling so that God could reveal that back to him, knowing God knows him better than he knows himself. And so he invited him in, like, like inviting a detective into the crime scene with a with a search warrant to search for evidence. Eugene Peterson writes in the message, investigate my life, God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me. Test me. Do whatever you gotta do to get a clear picture of what I'm about and then tell me what you've learned about me. David wanted to see what God saw in him. He wanted to know what God knew about him and to present this evidence to him. Why? Why? I think, one, because we don't often know ourselves, do we? We don't know ourselves that well. We need help in better knowing what it is we are actually thinking and what we're feeling and why we're thinking and why we're feeling. We need help. I think he did it, number two, to to show David if there was any grievous way in him, any unrecognized or unrepentant sin that may exist in his heart. And number three, to lead him in the way everlasting deepening his awareness of God, his affection for God, living in greater obedience to God because he wanted more of God. If David were writing a thousand years later, I think he would say, to lead me in faithfully following the way of Jesus. And that's what the spiritual practice of examine is all about. It is simply a method of prayer, a reflective prayer where you're inviting God to examine your heart and to reveal it to you, thereby deepening your awareness of God's constant presence in your life, reminding you that you are never alone, and deepening your affection for God, reminding you of how intimately He knows you and how deeply He loves you. And this idea of self-examination, we see it throughout Scripture, of examining the way we live in Lamentations 3 of examining our faith in 2 Corinthians 13, and, and examining our hearts before we take communion, as Paul calls us to do in 1 Corinthians 11. And, and the practice of examine, it, it's a few hundred years old. It dates back to the 16th century with, with a Spaniard by the name of, of Ignatius, now referred to as Saint Ignatius of Loyola. But before Ignatius became a saint, he was a soldier, and he fought... In wars for about a decade. And after not being touched 10 years into his his service, he he had his right leg uh, shattered by a cannonball that ricocheted off a wall. And he went through countless unsuccessful surgeries to the point that his right leg was shorter than his left, and so he always walked with a limp. And he then went to spend nearly a year living in a cave by himself during his recovery. And he spent hours each day opening himself to God in prayer. And this is what led to him writing his book, Spiritual Exercises, and the practice of examine. And his approach to prayer was quite simple. It was to speak little and listen much. And like, I can get on board with that kind of prayer, especially in group prayer. I can speak little and listen much. That's okay, you can come at 9.30 and pray with us and you are praying through your opening yourself to God by speaking little and listening much. But he was asking God to reveal those moments of what we call, he called consolation, those moments when we have this greatest sense of God's presence in our lives. But then he would also pray about these moments of desolation, these moments where he felt a sense of loss of his presence, these moments when he felt secure in God's love, these moments when he felt alone and isolated. But like all, all he was doing was putting the Psalm of David into practice. He was praying this Psalm out. And so last week, we said that each week of this series, we're going to introduce you to a new spiritual practice. We're going to sample it. Like Each week is a stop at a different sample station at Costco. And this week, we're stopping at the station of Examine, and my, my ask of everyone is that every evening this week, beginning tonight, that you would end your day by practicing Examine, this reflective prayer, making this a daily rhythm, a practice that we've uh, done together in the way. And there's, read five people on Examine, you'll see five different ways of doing it, um, But the way I want us to practice it, it'll have seven steps that we're going to practice this discipline together. And the first step is this. It's positioning, right? Positioning yourself before God as a a stone before a carver, as we heard Brother Lawrence write last week. And and positioning is we're going to spend about two minutes in silence with God, quieting the noise, focusing your attention and your affection on God, reminding yourself that he is present with you, Beginning with just a very simple breath prayer, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And after positioning, the second step is inviting. Inviting God to examine your heart by reading these last two verses of Psalm 139. Read verse 23 and 24 and read it out loud. The third step then is revealing. Spending a few minutes replaying the events of the day, replaying them like a movie in your mind, asking God to reveal all that took place, reflecting on what you did and where you went and who you were with, reflecting on what you thought and what you said, reflecting on how you felt and maybe even why you felt that, but also asking the Spirit to stir and reveal any unrepentant and unrecognized sin that you might have from the day. And that leads us to the fourth step of examine, which is repenting. Right there. In God's presence, aware of his knowledge of you, secure in his love for you as his child. Confess that sin to God. Repent of that sin. Turning from it and turning back to God, knowing Christ took that sin on when he gave his life on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Amen? Receiving this free gift of grace, of forgiveness from God. And that leads to step five, which is thanking. It's It's a step of gratitude where you take a moment of consolation from the day, a moment when you felt fully alive and at peace, where you felt happy and filled with joy, safe and secure, fully aware of God's presence with you and his love for you, and with a heart of gratitude, give thanks to God, thanking him. I can already picture my my moment of consolation this morning is when we gathered to pray in the lobby this morning. The room filled with people. And I was overwhelmed with an assurance of God's presence with us as we prayed. But then step six is remembering. And now I want you to take one of those moments of desolation from your day. When you felt anger and frustration, when you felt sorrow or grief, when you felt lost in the wilderness, alone in the darkness, when you felt isolated, rejected, and unaccepted. And I want you to remember that even there, God was with you. His presence is constant. He's with you in the darkness. He's with you in the wilderness. And um, you'd like to think, it well, it's only 11 o'clock. Not too much has gone wrong yet, right? I pulled in the parking lot at about 5.50 this morning, and uh, I got out of my car, and I went to open the back door to get my bag out, and uh, there was no bag. And like, I knew what was going to happen. I got to go all the way back home now and I'm going to get stuck behind somebody driving like five miles an hour because there's like two snowflakes on the road. It's exactly what happened. And I'm like, wow, God, thanks for the sermon illustration. (laughs) And just simply saying that was a calming effect in the moment. And uh, I was reminded that God was with me even when I was forgetting my bag. And then number seven, the last step is, is closing. And I want you to close by repeating these three reminders of this psalm of, of who God is and what that means for us. All we are doing is taking a summary of what God has said in his word, right? We're not praying my words. We're not praying anything. We're praying a summary of God's word. Amen? And I want you to close saying, because God is omniscient, knowing everything about me, I am known by God. And because God is omnipresent, being everywhere with me, I am not alone. And because God is omnipotent having created me, I am loved by God. Now, um, there's two type of teachers growing up. There were the teachers who assigned homework and assumed you would just go figure it out at home, and there were teachers who gave you time in class to do your homework. I like the second better than the first. My boys like the second better than the first. And so, I want us to practice this practice together. Let's get our feet wet, if you will. Sound good? And so, You know, we usually spend a time after we have received God's word, we spend time reflecting on his word before we respond to his word. And so in this time of of reflection this morning, we're going to practice, examine together. And so here's how we're going to begin. I want you to begin by positioning yourselves before God. Relax your body. Close your eyes. And we're going to spend the next minute or so in silent prayer with God. As a stone before a carver, positioning ourselves, opening ourselves, and begin with the simple breath prayer, here I am, Lord, here I am. And as you become distracted by maybe a sound, maybe your neighbor's tummy gurgling because they didn't get a donut before service, so much you bring yourself back to God, refocusing your attention and your affection on him. The distractions will come. and now aware of God's presence with us, his spirit in us. I want you to invite God to examine your heart by reading verses 23 and 24 with me. The words will be up on the screen. Read with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now with your eyes closed, head bowed, I want you to replay this morning's events in your mind at this point. Asking God to reveal all that's taken place. Reflecting on what you did, where you went, who you were with. Reflecting on what you were thinking, what you said, how you felt, why you felt it. To reveal a moment of consolation, a moment of desolation. And to reveal any unrecognized and unrepentant sin. And so let's ask God to reveal that over this next minute. And now I want you to repent of any sin the Spirit may have revealed, receiving Christ's forgiveness as we examine our hearts in preparation for communion this morning. Now, thank God for that moment of consolation that the Spirit laid in your heart, where his presence was clear and you felt his love. Let's spend the next few moments giving thanks to God for that. Now take a moment, that moment of desolation, that moment of uh, darkness, of frustration, and remember that even there, God was with you. Now, let's close our time in prayer by remembering who God is and what that means for us. Read these words with me, a summary of Psalm 139, these three reminders. Because God is omniscient, knowing everything about me, I am known by God. Because God is omnipresent, being everywhere with me, I am not alone. And because God is omnipotent, having created me, I am loved by God. Amen. Early this afternoon, you guys are going to get an email. Uh, If we don't have your email address, I'd ask you to fill out the info card today, and we're going to send you a link that's going to have this written out. I didn't expect you to take notes during this today, but walking you through these seven steps, and I would ask that you begin this evening, uh, before you go to bed, praying this prayer of examination, positioning yourself before God, and then doing that each night of this week. And as the week goes on, uh, what we found in the way is that people began to adapt this to fit their schedule, to fit their rhythms. That's okay. Uh, Hear me say, there's really not a right or wrong way to do this. Um, There's no requirement of the when or the how long, even if it's just a couple of minutes. Give that time to God. Sound good? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.